Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 will be our text this morning. I'm aware that in your bulletin, it says Ephesians 2 will be our text this morning. Um, I've been the pastor here 11 years. I reserve the pastoral privilege of changing my mind. So (laughs) I exercise that this morning. But we're going to uh, look at the great benediction of the book of Hebrews. No one really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. There are lots of theories out there. But whoever it was loved the church and he loved Christians. And so he gives us this benediction. We have been studying the book of Ephesians, though, as I said. And there in Ephesians, we are confronted with some great and marvelous truths. We've been studying this since uh, the first week of January. And I said then, if you're a Christian who is downtrodden or downcast or depressed about the direction of our culture, you need to read and study Ephesians because it reminds us of who we really are. That what we see in the mirror and what we see on TV does not tell the whole story. In fact, Ephesians tells us as Christians, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is everything that God wants for us, he's provided for us in Christ. That prepositional phrase is so important. It really encapsulates what it means to be a Christian. That we are in him. That we have this mystical union with Jesus. And one theologian has described at least six six different ways in which uh, we have this union with Jesus. Through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection his ascension and now his session as he's seated there at the right hand of the Father. He tells us some wonderful truths about Christians, that we were chosen by God, that we were adopted by God. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus out of spiritual slavery and bondage. We've been redeemed, in other words. We have been forgiven through that blood of Christ. We are justified in God's eyes, and he has made us alive, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins. And we have become beneficiaries of the greatest inheritance there ever has been. That is our heavenly inheritance, which is preserved and guarded and awaits us at the day of glorification. These are wonderful truths, but uh, this morning in light of the resurrection, we also need to be reminded of something else. Lest we began to boast in our newfound status, he reminds us that we are also called God's sheep. Let's read our text, Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now there are some wonderful reasons to believe in the resurrection this morning. Of course, the Bible is a primary source, but a lot of your friends and neighbors and mine reject the Bible out of hand. But we sang about this morning, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. That has a lot of weight in human history. Uh, There were uh, these 12 men who gave up their life to follow Jesus, and all of them, with the exception of John, were martyred for their relationship with Jesus. If these men were believing in a lie, they were willing to die for that lie. 
There's the testimony of the spread rapidly of the Christian movement in the first century. And there are many great reasons to believe in the, in the resurrection this morning. But I don't have to tell you that. You came in this morning because you believe as all believers in this church believe in the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a doctrine that has been diminished. That's a doctrine that has been looked down upon and frowned upon, but it is the foundational core of what we believe as Bible-believing Christians. But we're sheep. Now, if someone outside of the church calls you a sheep, don't take it as a compliment. They're probably saying that you are a particularly needy person or you are dependent on others for everything and you're a follower rather than a leader. You know, as I thought about that description this week, I'd have to agree with that. That's true. Because I know this of my own life, I need God's grace and forgiveness every day. I depend upon his providence every moment of my life and I follow him as my leader. So we are needy and dependent and, and followers. We never deny that. But our text this morning, Hebrews 13, 20, is a benediction, a blessing, if you will, to God's sheep. And it's based upon the great shepherd of our soul, who is the Lord Jesus. Now, when we think about this description of Christians and God's people as sheep and, and the good shepherd, you know, we find this throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament alike. In fact, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible has to do with this. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people who quote that verse don't understand its context. That that, that verse is taken out of the greatest chapter in the Bible on the prophecy of the Messiah. In fact, a lot of people use Isaiah 53, 6 as sort of a get out of jail free card. Like we would say, well, I'm just human. I'm only a man, I have feet of clay. They would say, oh, all we like sheep have, have gone astray as if to excuse their own sinfulness. But listen to it in context. Isaiah 53, six, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Because we are all sinners, because we all have fallen away, because we have all gone astray, God the Father sent that which was most precious to him, his own dear son, to live a perfect life and go to the cross and die as atonement for the sins of the world. And that's why we're here today is because Jesus did not remain dead. He arose victorious on the third day. And today we no longer have to fear death or dying because of what he has accomplished. But it's not only in the Old Testament that we see this uh, analogy of shepherding and sheep. Just a few pages over from hopefully where you still are in Hebrews chapter 13, we come to 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter picks up on the thought of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And he says this of Christians in 1 Peter 2.24, speaking of Jesus. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And so Peter wouldn't agree with the person that says, all we like sheep have gone astray is an excuse for sinfulness. He says, all you like sheep did go astray, and it's because of that Jesus died in your place, and now he calls you never to stray again. In fact, the way Peter describes salvation is shepherds 
who have sheep that return who were straying. All of us strayed. Jesus called, him, called us to himself through salvation. So this morning, I want us to look at this great shepherd of our souls. Now you notice here in Hebrews chapter 13 that the writer says that through his blood, the God of peace created a covenant. And he called it an eternal covenant. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of peace? He is. He establishes peace between himself and people who are at hostility with him. And then he enables us to have peace with one another. If there's anything that our world is lacking today, it's real peace. In fact, just this week, we were reminded that we no longer can even go to the airport without fear of our lives. We know that any day could be the day that something terrible could happen because of the lack of peace in the world. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He wants to bring peace of mind and peace of heart, but he also wants to bring an end to hostilities between people who are warring against God because of their sinfulness. And he describes it here in Hebrews as an eternal covenant. Come this next Saturday, we're going to, uh, Lord willing, have a, a wedding ceremony right here on these steps. And for every couple that I perform the marriage ceremony, I remind them that this is a covenant. It is a contract, a promise that is borne witness to by all their guests and most importantly, the God of heaven. But it is not an eternal covenant because in those vows, they will say something like, till death do we part. Meaning that at the death of one of, uh, of, of the spouses, that covenant is dissolved. Not so with the eternal covenant that God makes through salvation in Christ. If you'll turn back to Hebrews chapter 9, just a couple of pages, you'll see this very clearly in chapter 9, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews is describing Jesus in terms of our great high priest. You remember that on the day of atonement in the Jewish faith, Jewish faith, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that room which was separated from the rest of the temple. Where was the mercy seat? And on the mercy seat, he would sprinkle the blood of that atoning animal. And for an entire year, the sins of the people of Israel were overlooked by God. But they all knew, and we know today in hindsight, that the blood of those animals had no power in and of themselves to forgive sins. It was just blood. But it was a foreshadowing. It was a picture of the once for all Lamb of God who indeed would take away the sins of the world. And you remember when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from the top to the very bottom. Signifying that no longer was there need of these sacrifices because Christ himself had ratified and brought about into being this new covenant which is eternal in scope. Look at Hebrews 9. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You and I have eternal life because we have eternal redemption because of the work of our great shepherd. And so the great shepherd has a number of roles. The shepherd, of course, lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus said this of himself in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was 
putting in sharp distinction a shepherd from a hireling. The hireling, at the first sign of trouble, runs away. But the good shepherd knows his sheep and he loves his sheep and he literally lays down his life. What they would do in the evening is they would gather these sheep into a corral or into a cave. And at the opening of that cave, there would be no door. The shepherd would be the door. He would literally lay down across the threshold and any predatory animal or any thief that would seek to do harm to the sheep had to first pass the shepherd. But Jesus was not speaking in a metaphor here. He literally would lay down his life for the sheep. He would die for them. In fact, he told them that no greater love has any man than he would lay down his life for his friends. And he did that, of course, at the crucifixion. And we looked at the crucifixion again this past Friday night and we again were moved by the courage, the valor, the intensity of the pain. But what makes Jesus and his death different from every other sacrificial martyr's death in human history is that Jesus did not remain dead. See, this great shepherd not only laid down his life, he, he took it up again through the resurrection. This past year, my wife and I sold our, our first little house that we bought the year after we were married. We'd been carrying a mortgage on that for the last uh, 12 years, and uh, we, like most of you, do our banking online now. And it lists your accounts. And one morning after uh, the house had cleared, I got up and I logged on to my account number, and there were these words where it said my name, paid in full. <laughs> that was a good day. In fact, I went back and watched it several more times. <laughs> But you know, that's exactly what happened to us spiritually. We owed this great debt of our own sin. And the Lord Jesus took that iniquity upon himself at the cross. And through the resurrection, God the Father says that is paid in full. This is what the gospel is. And you say, well, why, why was the resurrection necessary? Because the resurrection was God's seal of approval on the work of the Son. Jesus declared of himself that he ever and always and only did the will of the Father. And that's quite a claim to make. But through the resurrection, God the Father says, he's right. He did only my will and he did it completely. And when Jesus says it is finished, God the Father says it was finished. Through the resurrection. The resurrection is an event that's hard for us to get our mind around because all of our heroes are who have died are still dead. Last summer, I took my family to Gettysburg Cemetery. And there's a particular battalion of soldiers there that I've read quite a bit about, and I found their monument. And many of them died there on that field of battle, and all their names were listed. And I have great admiration for many of those men. But here is the tragic truth. If I knew where all of those men were buried, I would find their remains there because they were men of honor, men of valor, but they were men and men only. The Apostle Peter understood this and this was part of his sermon in Acts chapter 3 on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. He was preaching to Jewish people who had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And he went outside and he began to proclaim that Jesus was their Messiah and that they had put their Messiah to death. 
But he says Jesus is more than a hero. He's more than a martyr that we look up to. He's God because the resurrection proves that. And then he used a hero from their own faith, King David. And he said, we all know where King David's tomb is. And if we would go there today and remove the opening, we would find the remains of King David. But the tomb of Jesus is empty. You say, I can't relate to King David. That happened so long ago. Can you relate to an American hero, Abraham Lincoln? Did you know after Lincoln's assassination in the 1860s, his remains were moved at least 17 times. Once in 1874, a group of robbers tried to steal his body and hold it for ransom. His family finally got uh, so frustrated with these uh, many exhumations that uh, finally in 1901, they exhumed the body one more time. And for the fifth time, the casket was opened because there was still a rumor in 1901 in the 20th century that Abraham Lincoln was still alive somewhere in hiding. And they once again opened the casket and eyewitnesses, many of whom lived into the 1960s, all agreed that it was unmistakably Mr. Lincoln. And his family had him sealed in 10 feet of concrete in Springfield, Illinois, because they didn't want that to happen anymore. Abraham Lincoln was a great hero of American history, but dear friends, it has been witnessed to by thousands of people in two different centuries that Lincoln is still in the grave. But our Lord Jesus is not. He is alive. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The great shepherd laid down his life and the great shepherd took up his life again. You say, why is that important? The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if there is no resurrection, we are of all men most to be pitied. Because we've been going around saying our, our Savior is alive, that we no longer have to fear death and dying, that he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if he is not... Paul says that makes us liars, that makes Jesus just a man, and that makes us, most importantly, still in our sins. Aren't you glad Paul finished that thought by saying, but now there is a resurrection. Jesus is alive, meaning he's not a liar, he is Lord, and therefore all who put their faith and trust in him have not believed in vain, and they will one day share in this eternal life. Jesus laid down his life as the great shepherd. He took it up again, but as our shepherd, he also leads us. In the 23rd Psalm, the great psalm of shepherds and sheep, Jesus says, he leads me beside quiet waters. David understood that in his life, it was God that was directing him. In fact, David's son Solomon picked up on that theme in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He, he will lead you. See, there, there's a great philosophy out there. And I say great in the sense that many people believe it. It's not great because it's a lie. And it's akin to agnosticism. But, but it's a little different in that the, the philosophy is there is a God in heaven who created all of this, including humanity. But he has no interest in us. He simply wound up the universe as a child would, a key toy, set it down and walked away, never to have anything else to do with it again. Dear friends, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a great creator, but he also is intimately involved in his creation. 
Jesus says, not a sparrow falls from the sky that God doesn't know about it. He knows the number of hairs on every one of our heads today. He is a divine superintendent and he is a provider. And he leads us in the direction that he wants us to go. How does he do that? Well, primarily through his word. We live in a world, as Jesus did, where people want some grand sign or some esoteric experience. And they're not satisfied with the clear teaching of the Bible. It always reminds me of what my dear friend Justin Peter says to people who says, I want to hear a word from God. He says, well, go read your Bible. And they say, oh, I want to hear God speak out loud. He said, well, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> this is how God leads his people. And he leads his people by his word through his spirit in some miraculous way. The Holy Spirit of God takes that proclaimed message from God's word and he leads us, he says, unto all truth. So the great shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He takes it back up again. He leads us by his word and through his spirit and he provides for us. When we talk about God's providence, we see it every second of every day. Every person, whether they bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus or not, is a beneficiary of God's providence. You know how I know? Put your hand on your heart. Is it beating? You're a beneficiary of God's providence. Breathe in a lung full of air. Breathe it out. You're a beneficiary of God's providence. If you put a morsel of food in your mouth today, you're a beneficiary of God's providence. If you go to sleep tonight in a comfortable bed with a roof over your hair, you're a beneficiary of God's providence. Every second of every day, all of us are beneficiaries of God's providential care over his creation. But there is a special sort of providence that is reserved only for those who will bow their knee to Christ, and that is salvation by grace through faith. Only for those who recognize who Jesus is is this salvation of benefit. But here's the other side of that coin. All who would receive Christ as Lord will be benefits, beneficiaries of that salvation. He leads, he provides, and finally he equips. Look again at Hebrews chapter 13, this time verse 21. The, the writer of Hebrews, whomever he may be, puts a summary line under everything he said in the 13 chapters before it. And he has a prayer for the church and for every member of the church. He says, may the Lord, who's the God of peace, who is the great shepherd, who has brought you into an eternal covenant through his own blood, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I mentioned our study of the book of Ephesians because I want to invite all of you to come back next week. And you say, well, I missed the first two chapters. It's okay, you can pick up there. And I hope you will be because the book of Ephesians is six chapters long. And the first three chapters describe some of those great blessings in the heavenly places that I referred to in my introduction. It tells us who we are. We are adopted by God the Father. We're justified by His grace. We're redeemed and 
purchased out of spiritual slavery and bondage. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. All those wonderful truths. But in chapter 4, the gear is shifted and it says, now live like it. Because you have that position because of your mystical union with Jesus, your life ought to be different. And it's the same notion that Peter had in 1 Peter 2, picking up on Isaiah 53. When Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray, it's not a permission to sin. It's a historical reminder that all of our sinners and fall short of the glory of God, and God the Father didn't leave us in that condition that he laid the iniquity of us all upon his dear son at the cross. And for all who would repent of sins, receive as an act of faith this free gift of salvation, those people would be saved. And saved not just so they could go to heaven when they die, saved to live for Christ. This is his point, that he would equip us to every good thing, to do His will. Did you know that before you were saved, you not only did not have the ability to do the will of God, you didn't have the desire to do the will of God, and neither did I. But because of His sovereign work of salvation, He justified us, He filled us with His Spirit. He equips us by His Word, and He calls us to go out into the world and be salt and light for Him. How is it with you, dear one? As I look around today, I see many familiar faces, but I'm not naive as I used to be. I know that not everybody that comes to church on Easter loves Jesus. People come to church for all sorts of reasons. Some come because they, they can't wait to celebrate the resurrection. and Some come because it makes grandma happy. And still other comes because it's the cultural thing you do here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Regardless of why you came today, hear this if you hear nothing else. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins, and you are a sinner, all have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. You find yourself this morning surrounded by a bunch of well-dressed people, but the true condition of your soul is you're lost. You're separated from God. You are hopeless and you are helpless. But here's the good news. Jesus died for sinners like you. All these people who are here to celebrate the resurrection, not that long ago were in the same condition you're in. And the Holy Spirit of God took a message such as the one you've heard today and quickened their heart, gave life to it, gave the faith to believe it. And all these people... One day, not long ago, were just like you. But they confessed Jesus as the Lord. They repented of sins. They received as a gift the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in their place. And you can too. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. Here's your opportunity to respond to this gospel proclamation. Now, you're right where you are, you can confess your sin in your own heart and to the Lord. Maybe some have done that in the past, but you've never made that public. Maybe for the first time in your life, the Holy Spirit has convicted you personally of sin and judgment and righteousness. I can't think of a better day than Easter Sunday morning than to give up on your own goodness and embrace the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ manifested on the cross. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 10.
If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that Jesus is the great shepherd of our souls. He demonstrated that by laying down his life for his sheep on the cross. You demonstrated that you were pleased and satisfied with his sacrifice by bringing him forth from the grave. Now, Lord, by his blood, you have initiated an eternal covenant that all who will believe may enter into. Lord, I thank you for many hundreds in this room who at one time or another in their life recognized their own guilt. They bowed their knee to the Lordship of Jesus and they received as a gift salvation. Lord, I would pray if there's even one here today who's in that con condition of lostness, Lord, that, that they would be desperate for Jesus, desperate for salvation. Would you call them to yourself even today? Now, Father, I pray whatever good that you accomplish in and through us as a church, we would be very careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.